0: welcome to frankenstein's podcast where it is all about the monster so we're a podcast that discusses various forms of media that contains fictional creatures beasts aliens and monsters from all corners of pop culture i'm your host joe praska
1: and i'm your co-host khalid hussein what's cracking
0: cracking i don't know i don't know how to respond to that question how are you trying to throw you off your game keep you you on your toes i'm great yeah (laughs)
1: uh i'm great man i uh i just got back to minnesota i'm uh i'm gonna try and uh quarantine with the family for the rest of the duration got to see my nephew which has been great hanging out with him
0: oh how old's your nephew
1: he is about to be one on monday so really exciting over here real exciting times that sounds super fun yeah so what's up with you buddy how are you doing
0: Uh, You know, also quarantining here in Minnesota too, although I was quarantining in Minnesota long before you got here.
1: Yeah, yeah, you did it before it was cool.
0: You know, doing a lot of hanging with the the daughter who's just about two, so similar age.
1: Aw, the little bean.
0: Yeah. So anyway, Khalid, what are we discussing today? Oh, Oh
1: we're talking about a certain master, a stair master? No, we're talking about a beastmaster and not just a beastmaster the beastmaster which i erroneously called the ultimate beastmaster on the last episode which you thankfully corrected me on uh, <laughs> so this week i will be using the synopsis from our good friend google it's nice and it's nice and lean it doesn't tell you too much about the movie but that's what we're here for so chill uh, so this the the plot synopsis according to google is that dar An ancient warrior with the ability to communicate telepathically with animal allies, sets out to stop the crazed plans of an evil high priest named Mayax and save his friends.
2: It was foretold by witches. It was conceived through sorcery. And it was to be destroyed by all that is evil. But the courage of one mortal saved it. And so, into an age of darkness, in a time of mysticism, sacrifice, and plunder, there came the only light, the Beast Master. Born with the strength of a black tiger, the courage of an eagle, the power that made him more than any hero. More than any lover. He was lord and master over all beasts. Ah! He was the beast master. Behold the wonder, the horror, the fantasy. The challenge of the one warrior they call the Beastmaster. Mark Singer is Dar. Tanya Roberts is Kerry. Rip Torn is Mayak. John Amos is Seth. Together they take us on a fascinating journey back into unexplored times. Conquer your fears, face the unknown. And discover the incredible link between man, animal, and all that is phantasmagorical. In the world of Dungeons, Dragons, and Dar. The Beastmaster. The epic adventure of a new kind of hero.
0: That's right, Khalid, we are talking about The Beastmaster, which, for those of you listening, if you haven't seen, you should probably check it out, because we will definitely be spoiling this movie as we discuss it, but it is available on Amazon Prime as of right now, so go give it a watch, spend two hours of your time, and then come back and listen to us, so you can pause right here, and then come back, if you'd like to.
1: So, Khalid, if you want to. If
0: you want to, yeah. Khalid, what'd you think of the movie?
1: Um... I was hesitant because you kind of like a lot of stuff. Most people would say anything related to like fantasy and I'm sci-fi. Easy to You're very easy to please and it's what I both love and hate about talking about these things with you. <laughs> but I will say this time, you were right on the money. This movie is equal parts like self-aware and oblivious to what it's doing that I, I kinda dig it, you know? Uh it really, really reeks of like uh star wars like let's do let's do the star wars thing even though this isn't star wars this is a completely different setting and everything but all the way down to the main character just looking like a buff uh mark hamill that was like kind of jarring so it was fun in that regard of like just seeing like the the age-old thing of like something was successful so let's 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 ape it shamelessly. And they did it in their own kind of fun way. The plots ridiculous. You can tell that some of the bigger named actors really had a lot more control than they normally would on a production because of like the way that they were playing it. Um Uh the animals were used just enough to not make me roll my eyes. A lot of cool action shots of that eagle, which I thought was a hawk until they called it an eagle um yeah i could go on but uh, i'll say it. i liked it i liked it
0: right 80 80s genre movies are just a special kind of like fun and weird so this movie particularly is a is a type of fantasy known as sword and sandals uh kind of a sword and sorcery sort of offshoot more akin to like the conan the barbarian type stories robert e howard rather than kind of the more whimsical like tokenesque fantasies so so in this you see a lot of like you know oiled up, greasy, testosterone driven characters that are traveling like desert type settings. So you don't really see much forest traversing, which normally when you say fantasy, you tend to think of like forests, I feel like, at least me, I don't know about you,
1: Yeah, no. And then I looked it up and it was like they they kind of wanted to do that. <laughs> like they that's what like they wanted to, like, go to like Mexico and like all these other places that didn't just have a desert setting. But then they were like, that's super expensive. What if we just went like outside of Southern California and a little bit Vegas? And, yeah. it, and it looks like that. <laughs> and,
0: it, and it works, I guess, for what they're trying to do. Um, so this movie was directed by Don Coscarelli who is also famous for directing the Phantasm series, the cult classic Bubba Hotep, and John dies at the end. J-Date. <laughs> and the film itself stars uh, Mark Singer as the titular Beastmaster, Tanya Roberts, from who most of you might recognize from That 70s Show, uh, John Amos, an Emmy-nominated actor for the show Roots, and, of course, the legendary late Rip Torn. R.I.P. Rip. Rip Torn was easily a highlight of this movie for me
1: rip torn is what kept me coming back to it because <laughs> there were a couple of times i had to tap out just uh i was trying to live tweet with you so like i would like see something ridiculous want to text it to you and then i'd have to rewind it to see the next ridiculous thing and i, I that that just turned out to, that proved to be more exhausting than i thought it would so like i knocked out the first time i watched it but man like just thinking about rip torn's performance and knowing there was more to come i was like get me back in there get me into that world
0: I think the first text that you sent me when you started this was like Rip Torn is in this? Yeah, and apparently you told me
1: that and I like forgot, which I think that was like a gift from my brain so I could be surprised by Rip Torn again. That's pretty special. Yeah.
0: So Rip Torn is one of the first characters that we see in the movie and and this is a piece of trivia, Khalid, you may have seen this also, but uh, from the DVD commentary with the with the uh, Coscarelli and, and the head writer. Uh, yeah. yeah, he says in regards to rip torn uh, he came to the film with his own peculiar ideas about how the character was going to be played he came to me and said i want this role i want to play this role like a turkey vulture and so torn ultimately decided to wear his own prosthetic nose so the reason he has a weird nose is just, just because rip torn wanted the character to have a weird nose
1: so I, you probably don't know the answer to this but when you say his own prosthetic nose like the the world of questions that a statement like that opens up is is, it's dizzying i did, did he always have this prosthetic nose is he like trying to justify buying a prosthetic nose before knowing what it would be for and like talking every director into it and this is just the one that said fine like what is up with the nose it was such a weird confusing element to it because like I guess not that weird, but also still weird because everybody else who's, like, augmented in this world is, like, dramatically done so. Like, the witches who have, like, that whole thing where it's, like, hot bodies and then, like, a Halloween mask for a face, you know? <laughs> like, like, that's, like, that, that made way more sense to me, like, within this world than, like, a guy who just has, like, a slightly more, like, beak-like nose than he actually does. He,
0: he, what's, up, what's going on with his teeth, too? Like, were, they,
1: were those braces I don't I think it's supposed to because like he di- I don't think his teeth were like that in the beginning of the movie um like uh pre-baby heist which trust me guys if you know me you know I'm gonna get into it with the baby heist but pre-baby heist he has like I thought normalish teeth and then I guess to show the passage of time like oh yeah they don't brush uh hmm. he he. J- they're just like kind of grimy
0: speaking of baby heist khalid you want to just give us a little background on how this movie starts and and how the beast master gets his powers
1: this movie starts the way a lot of epics start i'm talking your harry potters and what have yous your bib it goes all the way back to like what is it moses uh a a real bad dude who has a who has a hankering for for following what i can only assume is a very evil and mean god because like ra ra's got to be like a really mean god is that is that the, the guy's name i think so that he keeps saying don't no it's a uh, it's r r because it, it, i remember thinking like the kid's name is dar their god's name is r like r like like a pirate uh, like r r yeah yeah he was like r does not want this anyways mm-hmm. Rip Torn's character uh, Mayax is like this high priest and he seems to like like apparently like it's like this weird tug of war between the king and the religious sect. They don't necessarily work together, but they work in concert with each other. Um, so he like looks into like a like a giant broth with with some witches and they just turn around and they're like, yo, that king's baby that's coming is going to is going to kill you. And he's like, "We'll see about that." Never let a baby kill me before. So they, he like sends like the witch assassin into their uh, little hut, which very confusing. Like, do 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 non kings and queens have like lesser huts? Because that didn't look that great. It looked pretty shabby. But um, so they go into the unimpressive hut. They paralyze them with some kind of liquid thingy. Say some like chant over her very pregnant belly. She starts freaking out. Cut to a cow inside of the hut. I didn't know it was big enough for two adults and a cow, to be honest, just looking at it, but apparently it was. That cow starts freaking out. They cut to its udders, so it's like this weird, like like goes back and forth super fast and it's like the the belly is like moving funny and it's like very like out of alien like the the chest burster and cut back to the cow and the cow's got the chest burster now and you're like oh my god are they are they doing what i think they're doing yeah they are they're transferring the baby to the cow to cut the cow open near a lake later and a baby's in there and then See, this is, like, the convoluted thing about this baby heist. Like, the, like trust me, Danny Ocean had no part in this because there's, like, so many extra steps to it that, like, I don't even know, like, that they know what their ultimate goal was. If it's just to kill the baby, like... A little crude but stab the mom maybe? Like the baby can't live without the mom. But they don't do that. They they transfer a baby and then they birth the baby and then they get they make a brand, like a little branding iron, like that you would use for like animals, and then they brand a baby that they seem to have intentions of killing. And then right when she's about to kill the like freshly branded baby, uh this this dude, uh Tease, Tees. Uh, he's just like a local sees her about to like kill a baby and he's like well I know enough to know that's bad and he grabs like a little like boomerang blade and he whips it at her and knocks her down and then they get into a very very sad to watch fight like neither of the pe- actors in it are like fighters and I don't know that they had a fight choreographer on set because it looked so unimpressive but he, he wins he knocks her out and saves the baby and that's how the baby heist ends.
0: Yeah, pretty pretty normal status quo beginning to like any epic, I'd say, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I will turn off the movie 25 minutes in if there hasn't been a baby heist. Um,
0: yeah. But yeah, so presumably that this interesting transferal of human fetus to cow uterus is what gives birth to Beastmaster's powers, right? I, I think that's what we're supposed to understand yeah. from that.
1: But it's not okay, but that also doesn't make sense because the next time we see this dude, he's like twelve and a bear attacks like another villager that they were bullying and they were then bullying. he and then he just <laughs> and then he just stares at the bear and the bear walks away and then Tease, his uh, adoptive father, is like you must never tell anyone and I, I rewound that part like four times I was so confused I was like tell anyone what that you didn't get killed by a bear like he doesn't it's not like the other scenes in the movie later on where it's like much clearer like I love whenever he has to talk to the hawk because it's the only time he tries to sound like the animal that he's talking to <laughs> <laughs> and it's like just like this like guttural like squeal he's just like it is so funny. I'm just like, is like is that like the birds request? Like, hey, I know you can telepathically talk to all of us, but like culturally, I wish you would just learn our language. <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> But yeah, like I mean it's just it's confusing. Is it like he had did he always have the powers did they kick in when he was 12 the movie doesn't care it moves too fast and it keeps going for you to stop and really question any of it i only it's only the benefit of hindsight that i can stop and even ask this question
0: yeah so effectively the Beastmaster is on a quest after his village is raided to stop rip torn from doing evil cult like things and creating a like a zombie demon army type thing so in a nutshell that's that's pretty much what's happening um I, I've got a little bit of background on, on how this how this movie came to be that I I think is interesting just to contextualize where it's coming from. So uh, it's actually based on a novel from Andre Norton, who is a relatively well known sci fi author. And the original story uh, tells a story of a of a character named Hosteen Storm, who is a Navajo and former soldier who has an empathetic. Em- empathic and telepathic connections with a group of genetically altered animals. And and Norton's original story is like a sci-fi story where he travels worlds and stuff. And given how different this was, Norton was famously very unhappy with this adaptation of his character.
1: Yeah, I would be too. <laughs> yeah. That is that's a bummer. <laughs> and
0: and it's maybe it wasn't considered so at the time, but I'm sure now it would be seen as is fairly problematic that You know, they take a character that's, you know, a a Navajo, a Native American character in the story and in the in the in the book itself is supposed to explore different aspects of Native American culture, specifically the Navajo through metaphors in in the character's life Um, and then change it to like a like a blonde hair, blue eyed, white guy.
1: Yeah. And I got to say, I do think that there is like uh, that. The, the story you're describing sounds like it would have been like a lot more meaningful to yeah. like both cinematic and Native American history to have something like that in pop culture at a time like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I, it is unfortunate that the world like lost out on like what sounds like a, if, an equally, if not more interesting story.
0: Agreed. It would have been very interesting. And that, and that's also, I mean, there are a few elements of this that are, would be definitely seen as problematic today. Like when you meet, first meets, uh Tanya Roberts' character, it's, a very very uncomfortable rapey feeling scene like he forces a kiss on her and yeah uh, it's just, it, it
1: just yeah she she yeah. does not say anything yeah. for most of that scene like I'm, and I don't mean like she says hi and then shuts up I mean he says everything up to the point of uh I guess tricking her into getting a kiss OK, so we got to break it down, like just to give context, if you're not going to see the movie and you just want to listen to us discuss it, basically because he has the ability to like communicate with animals, he uses like a panther as his wingman and he convinces the panther to like and I, I don't mean convince. He just I guess he just like asks it mentally. He's just like, scare her and then let me come in and like protect her from you. And then I'm going to demand a kiss for protecting you. And it's very uncomfortable because she does not get a word in until after the kiss, which is for her, as all the reasons you can think of not cool.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, and on a jumping from that to a little bit more of a, uh, gently more positive take of the movie. I, I did appreciate how after that her character, she wasn't, wasn't just uh, like relegated to damsel. Most of the time she, she was shown to be relatively capable throughout the movie and, even in the ending fight, like, she picked up a sword and, like, killed several several demon soldier people.
1: She did. She yeah. did do that. Yeah, so I appreciate she,
0: that yeah. element of it, but that does not excuse that part that we're talking about now.
1: Yeah. Um, the, I don't know if you needed to hear this, audience, but the official Frankenstein's podcast stance on using a panther as a wingman is don't do it.
0: Yeah. Um, so... Real quick, before we move into the the creature, which we're going to be talking about, Beastmaster does kind of have a storied history in pop culture. It was followed by two sequels, Beastmaster 2 Through the Portal of Time, which for some reason brings Dar to early 90s Los Angeles, uh, probably (laughs) for budget reasons. Wait, wait,
1: through through time, like implying that this happened in our past?
0: Uh, Presumably, I have not seen 2, to be fair.
1: Okay, well, that changes everything, dude. You did
0: not tell <laughs> me that this was a
1: historical fiction. I would have given it like a whole different lens to look at it through. All right, go
0: yeah. on. And then Beastmaster 3, The Eye of Braxis, which uh, features Tony Todd, who is kind of a genre legend from Candyman, Candyman and Star Trek and different things. Um, the other two films have a lack of cool creatures. There's a, there's a weird swamp witch creature who turns out to be his aunt, I think, in two. And then there's a lizard god called Braxis that kind of looks like a Power Rangers villain in number three. Um, So I I, I don't think we're going to address those movies in a future episode, but I guess don't quote me. It also spawned a relatively popular prequel series uh, in 1999 with a new actor as Dar that was kind of like in the Hercules and Xena vein.
1: I almost like selected that by mistake when I was on Prime because <laughs> yeah, that's the that's there Master too. Series.
0: But anyway, the creatures that we're going to be discussing, th- this movie has no shortage of beasts. Many of them are real. He has a like a panther ti- a black tiger companion, the eagle which I also thought was a hawk until you told me so. And he has two <laughs> little ferrets named Poto and Koto, which are absolutely adorable. The um, highlight of the movie. Yeah, they're fantastic. But we're not talking about them. We're talking about the winged devourers.
1: Yeah. So they're like these like super tall things. Like they look like their faces look like if like a gas mask like melted on a human face. It kind uh, of reminds me of like, like the-
0: uh that, like the bad, the bad Wolverine. What was it? X-Men Origins. It reminds me of how Deadpool looked. In oh,
1: that movie. yeah. It, which is funny because like it's all practical effects because this is 82. Yeah. So like. Uh well not all practical effects there is one part uh which I dare you to even spot it if I didn't tell you where the eagle picks up a kid that had to have been like some kind of like VFX work there but everything else is practical uh but yeah it does look like that that uh if you haven't seen an X Men Origins Wolverine um they have Ryan Reynolds at the end like just look like his face melted off his mouth and then his eyes are just like raccoon black it's gross and that's pretty that's a pretty good description of the faces on these winged devourers um the rest of them is just like leather wings that almost look like trench coat like they're like they're wearing a trench coat and then like they open it up and it's like a gross like skinny ribby like like i don't know like it just reminds me of like the buffy the vampire slayer demons and stuff that they would have sometimes because like they would recycle a lot of those costumes and so like it just it's just like skinny naked ugly creatures and yeah they're like what are they like eight feet tall they're so
0: tall yeah they're they're definitely much taller than people and they have these Mm. large bat wings and um what i thought was really interesting is when we first see them in the movie dar is just kind of wandering uh through the forest and finds a cave right and he like finds like a soup with a head Mm -hmm. in it remember that
1: yeah (laughs) i like it because he has his like little like is it is it a you call it a black tiger is it a panther i just want to make sure we're on the same page it it was a
0: tiger that was actually i think dyed black yo uh, joe exotic
1: probably gave it to him man um but yeah uh okay so the black painted tiger confusingly enough why didn't they just use a tiger all right i'm going to move on <laughs> the the black painted tiger like goes up to like the broth or whatever it is and like it's like sniffs it and he's like uh uh-uh, uh i'm not having none of that cuz like he cuz uh dar tries to like get it he's like check it out and he's like no thank you and then he like pokes at it and a head comes out when you see how they eat later it's like confusing it's like you also eat soup that way like you you care to eat soup
0: yeah, so it's it's a very it's a very interesting thing because they're they're objectively terrifying, I think, but there there's evidence that there's some sort of intelligent there. They're not they're not just like monsters. They're like they have a culture. Like they're shown to have some sort of like god icon. That's this eagle, which in a moment we'll talk about, leads to this sort of respect they form for Dar. But uh, they they make soup they worship
1: and they hunt humans and they hunt humans i'm just yeah like i'm realizing like in that world humans they're not the apex they're not the they're not the they're not the top of the food chain like Mm -hmm. these things like come down from a mountain and then like cage them and eat them they they build cages yeah it's kind of terrifying Yeah, right that's terrifying
0: yeah so you mentioned briefly the way that they eat when you see the way that they actually eat we're not quite sure the relationship between that and the soup ultimately but when a human is running so we see dar release one of the guys from the cages runs right into the wing devourer's arms opens up the wings wraps the dude into his wings guy like struggles screams to get out but of course he's not getting out and all you see after the the creature opens its wings is just bones and goop falling down so they effectively devour people through their wings
1: they show you a little bit of what's going on in there with like the green ooze that spits out i assume that's got to be like the equivalent of stomach acid like that's what's doing the actual dissolving but like they probably also have like teeth inside there
0: so they don't actually have like physical mouths on their face i think if i remember correctly
1: um, yeah they don't
0: i found this one I, I was searching a lot for a research on this and i found one one thing from uh Uh, A guy named Robert Lamb, who did a monster of the Week column for Tor.com. And he wrote that uh, the wing devourers use their wings to capture and hold human prey. Once secured, they vomit a corrosive solvent over the squirming meal's head. This is a form of external digestion, which you've also seen in spiders and the housefly.
1: Dang. Yeah, that's
0: gross. Kind of fascinating, though.
1: Yeah, fascinatingly gross. Not like (laughs) I hate it. Like, I'm just like, it's like, ooh, cool. That's so gross
0: yeah so there's actually two scenes in which we see these wing devourers so first as we're talking about he dar comes across these creatures in this random cave it's a it's a weird scene because it's just random like it, it doesn't really serve the plot that much at that point but it's kind of reflective yeah, isn't he
1: like he's like in pursuit of the girl at that point because like she understandably not a great first impression from dar so she she dips out yeah. also she's a slave so i think she was going back to be a slave which i don't know like i guess slaves in that world get field trips to to a, uh, a spring yeah. but uh she disappears and then like in pursuit of her that's how he ends up at that cave
0: yeah and, and as i was gonna say that's that's kind of reflective of of the fantasy genre mm-hmm. and what that how that's different from sci-fi sometimes is that um the plot is like peppered with obstacles rather than specific events that serve the greater plot. And so this kind of, it's like that, where it's like he just runs into a series of obstacles until he gets to his, his final goal. But they do appear again in another scene at the very end. And so, and, and this is when we're getting into way spoiler territory. So this is an interesting movie because uh, the final battle happens, Dar fights Riptorn. Torn, a Ferret at- helps attack, one of the ferrets, I don't know, Koto or Poto, I don't know which one it was, helps.
1: Koto, uh, throw some respect on
0: his name. Yeah, you're right. It's Koto. Koto like eats Riptorn's neck and like Riptorn dies, right? Or Mayax, sorry. And the movie goes on for another thirty minutes after that. Yeah,
1: yeah, which is very interesting. Like, if I was Mayax, I'd be actually like a little bit like salty about that, where it's like. Oh, I thought those guys were like were were like ride or die for me, but it sounds like they'll just the world just keeps turning when I die. But that's exactly what happens.
0: Yeah. So effectively, the the like sort of demon soldier minions that Riptorn had created, I think is the right word, uh, were marching on this city. And after Riptorn dies, they still continue that march. So that they have to try to defend the city, and uh, yeah. and they don't have much of an army tiny town although it's a kingdom i think i don't know um it's not clear the scope of things sometimes but uh effectively dar had formed a bond with these wing devourers in that cave scene because he was able to control the eagle and since they worship some sort of eagle figure that we see in some iconography that's in the um in their cave they they formed a respect with them so so he he used like a like a pendant that they gave him and he gave it to his eagle to go bring to them. And then the eagle basically leads the wing devourers back. And after a pretty cool, actually pretty cool shot battle overall, the wing devourers show up and just start devouring the enemy soldiers in a way that really, I think really shows Cuscarelli's skill as a horror director. Cause I feel like it doesn't feel triumphant. They're all back in a way. Like what, what did we just do?
1: Well, that's the thing that, like, really, like, again, like, we both keep saying they're terrifying, and it's more of a conceptually terrifying thing because these mon these monsters don't have to fight you; they don't they don't have moves. You don't have a move. Like, it, it, they just spread open and like bear hug you to death, more or less. And it's just like the 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 things that at the end when they like they're kind of like a used as a deus ex machina where it's like there's no way that our heroes can get out and then these things show up um the things they're fighting the juns are like they the movie does a good job of underscoring like they're way stronger than uh than humans and that like nothing can stop them and they're unrelenting and then boom the wing devourers come in and it's like you're relenting now aren't you boy
0: yeah it's it's intense like it, it's it's a real it's actually the i think the final 30 minutes gets a lot of criticisms because it it just feels like it extends the movie after you feel like it would have logically ended but i i kind of liked that last those last scenes
1: yeah because like a lot of movies it'll just it, they really do just make it about the main villains so i mean really like i don't know how much credit we should give them like all they did was just flip it around where it's like in any other movie it's just you defeat all the bad guys and then when the guy, when the hero is like at his weakest from defeating all the bad guys he has to go up against the big bad this time around they just like he he was just relatively fine and he he beat him
0: and i'm just reminded of this now that we're talking about that final scene because it was a pretty cool moment for a lot of the main characters like everyone got some pretty cool fight moments um before we started this podcast uh you and i were talking khalid about some of the characters and you had a lot to say about john amos's character is there anything you wanted to share about that
1: whoo glad you asked Uh, uh in all my years on this earth i have seen a lot done a lot met a lot of great folks never met a black guy named seth and i did not think the first time i would see one was in a sword and sandals epic about a man who can talk to animals and fights like monsters so that was (laughs) that was wild i was like cool we got dar we got mayax we got kiri we got tal and seth (laughs) (laughs) so that was great and i really hope like I really hope because like John Amos looks like a dude that like is very self-serious and like can side eye you and stuff like that if he doesn't like something. And I really want to believe they gave him like a very like fantasy epic style name and he just went, no, I'm going to be Seth. (laughs)
0: Um, But anyway, back, back to the uh, creatures. I, a few logistical things I found. It was very difficult to actually find real information on who did the VFX for this movie. I, I struggled. I, I found on IMDb there was a company called Cruise and Company, which I don't know much else about. Production designer was Conrad uh Engone, I think his name was. Um and they didn't say much about the creation or the conception of the creatures. There was a little bit on a documentary that's on the Blu ray called The Saga of the Beastmaster, where they say yeah. that uh they just kind of wanted to create something otherworldly and gross that was sort of Cuscarelli's take on it. he's like i just wanted something weird and gross and otherworldly to fill that that role but uh not much else is said so so khalid you know what i did i i actually went into a bit of a deep dive here and did some research trying to figure out if there's anything that these creatures might have been inspired by and this is this is the point where i'm getting the pure unabashed speculation but uh I found this kind of interesting thing and and I'm wondering if it's related because the original Beastmaster was the book version was based on a Native Native American character there is a a legendary dragon bird uh, petroglyph that was found on a bluff along the Mississippi River in Illinois a long time ago called the Piazza bird and it's said in legend to apparently be 16 feet covered with scales have a, well, has a bear-like face, that's a different thing. Um, but it has a preference for human meat and can carry a deer off in its talons. And that was the closest kind of thing in legend that I felt sort of almost kind of reminded me of these creatures. And I don't know if that had any effect in whoever designed them or whoever like conceptualized them. But I thought that was kind of a, I don't know, I thought it was kind of interesting.
1: I'm gonna say that that is officially canon, if only to give the Native Americans any kind of credit for this creation. That's sort of what it, I was it, thinking. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that because it it, it fold it brings them back into the fold. Yeah, it, it is a bummer now that I know this because like the whole time I'm watching it, the whole like there is something like there's a spiritual like oneness with nature and like uh, a a. a a very culturally specific thing to the whole talking to animals thing that I, that I don't associate with like white or European cultures. So it makes so much more sense that like this, this was all coming from somebody who should have been native American.
0: Right. And, and that, that uh, petroglyph has since been uh, destroyed, unfortunately, but uh, there is a modern day reproduction of it. That is now a monument in uh, Alton, Illinois, if you all want to go see it. So that's kind of cool. Is Dara a vegetarian? Do you think?
1: Uh, it's funny you should ask that because I'm looking at a, I've got a page of trivia and the one I'm looking at right now is that the that was one of the things that the the producers and director were trying to figure out when they shot that because they show a scene of him eating a meal, but they never specify what the what's in the meal and it's like they go geez shouldn't the beastmaster be a vegetarian and I think he should agree hundred percent if you could have a if you could have a conversation or like at the very least like intuitively like understand another animal that much like you shouldn't be eating animals uh and i and i don't only say that because i am a vegetarian too i i just think that's that should be a bare minimum like if you can like verifiably point to like consciousness and understanding like don't eat that thing
0: right a bare minimum and speaking of bears khalid oh you took the bait you took the bait good segue huh
1: yeah for those of you who don't know Uh, if this happens to be your first episode of the podcast, we are, or I specifically am going to be implementing the four bears test uh, for as long as I feel like it. And essentially it's just a question of could the monster that we're talking about in the story or movie, could it be replaced with four bears and still be the same movie? This is the first time I'm going to have to give it a big old fail. It fails the four bears test Uh, for one these creatures seem to be a lot more intelligent um for another they're like there's a there's a bunch of them for the whole like they're only in two scenes but each time it's a bunch of them way more than four bears like even if you stack them up against each other so just on a numbers level it fails um they also seem to respect the beastmaster which in my opinion uh if you're 4 bears you don't respect anything other than maybe 5 bears uh so yeah for that and a litany of other very like obvious reasons like no this this movie does like the entire third act falls apart if you're just waiting for 4 bears to come in those guys are like super soldiers they they'd probably just like slight like behead the bears the only reason that the winged devourers get them is because they have like the ultimate ko move of just like hug you and like dissolve you you can't fight back if you're already being dissolved within the first move
0: yeah and they fly
1: oh they do fly yes they do fly and as we all know four bears can't fly
0: so ultimately these creatures they're very fascinating. They're very different than the other creatures that we've talked on the podcast so far, uh, talked about on the podcast so far. Um, if we started with the host creature. We talked about the aliens from Attack the Block, and then these ones are very different. This is a very different kind of movie and very different monsters. They're they're intelligent for one. It's just a well, different. Well, this
1: is the first monster that is benevolent.
0: Yeah, you the... know what
1: I mean. Like, like nobody. Like it's not a. There's at no point does anybody go. Can we kill them? Can we defeat them? I don't think that that's possible, at least by the rules of this movie.
0: Yeah, they have a code. They have a culture that we're presented with, like, just gently. So it's it's left to more of our imagination to figure out and fill in those pieces. Um, but my question then for you, Khalid, is in the case of the Winged Devourers, would you fight them or flirt with them?
1: Very good question. I have been thinking about it very, very hard, and I have to say, I have I have to flirt with them. The metrics for which I'm going to do the fight or flirt, like I'm still figuring it out. But like I think I at least have to respect the rules of like the movie or source that they come from. And it within this, like they don't show anybody fighting them. And again, they're super tall. I have no choice but to try and flirt with them because. If I have to fight them, man, like, oh, uh, like, I saw a bunch of them, like, a bunch of those people get eaten, even just being in their vicinity, and that looked so unpleasant, and it's gonna be hard, because when you talk about flirting with these creatures, like, the presumption is that, like, you're gonna have to, like, at least physically be, like, in contact with them at some point, and, like, how do I do that when, like, their entire torso is a mouth? You know what I mean? I can't even spoon them without worrying that I'm gonna end up in their gullet. And I, I'll I'll figure it out. I'll figure the logistics out, but fighting them is just off the table. It's not even a question of like what I choose. It's like these are these are dominant creatures in their in their land and I have to respect that and I guess I will bring them as many eagles as it takes to let them know that I am I am open to a relationship.
0: So the verdict is. Flirt them. And with that, Khalid, I think we're going to wrap up our conversation on the ultimate beast... Ma- oh, excuse me, the Beastmaster.
1: <laughs> it is the ultimate Beastmaster. <laughs> Oh, man. No, this is a fun one, man. And uh, yeah, this is the first time that it's been a, a, a movie or pop culture source that I didn't know anything about beforehand. So thank you for bringing it to me, man. This is really fun to watch and discuss.
0: Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, it was fun. I've I've watched this movie a few times now. It was something I, I'd seen bits and pieces of growing up. And so it's something that I always kind of knew about, but I never really sat down and watched it fully until just recently. So it was, it was a fun experience, I think. And um problematic elements aside it is it is still a fun movie to watch overall i'd say so next week we're going to be talking about another monster slash creature that's another hard left turn i think a very different type of one khalid do you want to tell our listeners what we'll be talking about next week
1: yeah for a creature feature podcast this will be our first hooray into our foray into outright uh horror Uh, As if I if I'm remembering correctly, but um, yeah, we're going to be talking about the creature from It Follows, which also doesn't actually have a name. I guess we'll just call it. We can't call it it. There's already an
0: it. So the Internet has called it the entity,
1: the entity. I like that. I like that. So we'll be discussing The Entity, which, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I highly recommend it just for your own benefit, but that's what we'll be discussing on the next episode, and I'm very excited. That uh, that movie really stuck with me after I watch it, watched it, and... It's going to be a fun one to discuss, especially with the fighter flirt element. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. oh, I didn't even think about that yet.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually have a a theory on that one, which might which might just like blow open the entire fighter flirt like modality.
0: Mm. I guess yeah. tune in next time for a, a game changer of an episode.
1: Yeah, and uh, can I just plug something real quick, Joe?
0: I was just I was just about to go there, Khalid. What? Where can we find you? And what do you want to plug? So
1: you can find me. Uh, Instagram is the place to go. It's a uh, nappy underscore gilmore underscore spelled how it sounds. And yeah, I mean, not much new stuff there. I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. But the thing I really want to plug, I have nothing to do with it, but I just because it's the quarantine for us depending on when you're listening like we're still going through it uh i've been watching a lot of shows that i didn't really have the chance to before and the show i want to plug is uh it's called what we do in the shadows based off of the movie that taika waititi directed and it was turned into a show for fx which is now streaming all of their shows on hulu And it is a delight. I'm all caught up now. And the latest episode as of this recording was an episode which reminds me of the golden age of The Simpsons so hard. Like pretty much like certain plot elements of it are lifted wholesale from a Simpsons episode or two and not in a bad way. Like if you like creature feature stuff and you like vampires and you like comedy and all of that, this show has all of that and more and it's such a delight to watch every week. And yeah, give it a shot. Give it a shot. It's great.
0: Agreed. I, we have actually, we haven't watched season two yet, any of it, but I loved season one. That is such a great show. So I will hop on that recommendation.
1: Nice. And where can people find you and follow you?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, Joe Praska so just my name spelled out um, and one of the th- one of the things i've been working on lately other than just normal quarantine life work is i've been dusting off my old blog site i haven't used it for a long time but i i write just kind of my own stuff it's called the continuingvoyage.com a lot of it's star trek related so if you're a star trek fan come on over but i've i have some other stuff too I, it's, it's it's a fun endeavor for me and if you if you're interested feel free to check it out you can also find Frankenstein's podcast, like us on Facebook, find us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is Franken's franken podcast um, for all the updates and links to the episodes.
1: It sounds like we do a podcast about Al Franken.
0: I know. It was hard to find a good Twitter handle. I guess so. Until next time, folks.
1: Creep it easy.